Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, we're talking about building to code, building to code this morning. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, beginning at verse 24, will be our opening text. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and the beat, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and, the beat, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Years ago, when Hurricane Andrew hit Florida, news team was sent out to this particular individual's house because in that neighborhood, everybody else's house was reduced to nothing but debris, splintered all over. His house was perfectly standing. And so when they went to him and asked him how come he had his house standing, what he thought was the reason for his house to stand, he said, well, first of all, I built the house myself. Secondly, he said, I built it according to the Florida State Code. He said, when I was told to use two by six roof trusses, I used two by six roof trusses. When I was told to use screws, I used screws. I was also told that if I follow the code, it will withstand a hurricane. He said, I did. It did. And here's my house still standing. Now the rest, he said, I can't speak for them, but basically, maybe they didn't follow the code. That perfectly illustrates exactly what Jesus said. We can build our lives on the code that he suggests, or we can build our lives on a code maybe that man thinks is right, or maybe that religious tradition thinks is right, or even the world system thinks is right. It's up to us to make a decision as to how we're going to build our house and what foundation we're going to use to build our house. I've got a good suggestion here this morning. Why don't we do what Jesus said? I believe his code is better than Florida State's code to withstand the storm like a hurricane. Because we know the storms of life come to every single one of us, but we want to be standing, praise God, when the storm subsides. Amen? And we won't be overcome. Now, having said that, look in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. We want to talk about some of these foundational stones, one in particular here today. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, and of baptisms, doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. He called these basically the fundamental principles of the doctrine of Christ. In other words, if you're going to lay your foundation upon anything, lay it upon the foundational principles of the doctrine of Christ, but then build upon that and go on to spiritual maturity. So what we're going to talk about is one of those foundational stones here this morning, which is called water baptism, the doctrine of baptisms. Now, there are three particular baptisms we need to be familiar with in the Bible. Um, there are more than three, but for today, these three we're going to emphasize. First one being, being baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. When a person comes to Christ, the Holy Spirit is the baptizer 
who baptizes him in the body of Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all, all made to drink into, the one, into one spirit. So in other words, it is the Holy Spirit. When a person accepts Christ as a Savior and Lord, when he confesses saving faith, and Jesus comes into his heart, the Holy Spirit baptizes him into the body of Christ. So the first baptism is the baptism into the body of Christ, and the baptizer is the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. This is his dispensation. He couldn't do that before, but now he can. Thank God for that. Second one. Secondly, we have another one, and that's called water baptism, which we're going to be celebrating here today. And these candidates that are here today are going to be blessed beyond measure this morning, guaranteed. But this is water baptism. In the book of Acts, notice in chapter 8, we have a baptizer by the name of Philip, but then also we have a, a bap, someone being baptized who was a eunuch. Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What does hinder me from to be baptized? And Philip said, now notice, if you believe with all your heart, notice the connection with, between believing and being baptized. Thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So now the second baptism we see is water baptism. Who's the baptizer? The person, Philip. And others, of course, were used to baptize people in water. So that's number two. But then also there's number three. The third baptism that the Bible speaks of is the baptism in or with the Holy Spirit. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 11, notice here, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. This is John speaking. You can see that this is his baptism would be a fourth baptism. But he that comes after me is mightier than I. I whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he, Jesus, shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I thank God I've been baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. I thank God I've been baptized in water. And I'm telling you, you've heard my testimony about being baptized in water. And it was quite, an, uh, quite a testimony, quite an experience. But I thank God I've also been baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And I've got a fire in my bones. Have you got a fire in your bones today? There's only one way to be with God. And that's on fire. For he is a consuming fire. And every one of us is responsible to keep the blaze burning within our souls. Are you on fire for God this morning? If you're not, I guarantee you before you walk out the door, you will be, praise God. If we have to dip you in that water another time. Amen. All right, look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, talking about water baptism and the Great Commission. Notice here, this is Jesus speaking before he leaves to go back to heaven, and he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice these three things that Jesus said to him were very important. Number one, make disciples. Not just a convert, but a disciple is a disciplined student. One who sits at the feet of his master, gazes into his eyes, watches his every move, and has a desire to conform to be just like him. That is a disciple. Praise God. But then he said, and get that disciple baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Baptized in water. And then thirdly, what does he tell them to do? Teach them to obey. 
Teach him obedience. To be obedient to do whatever it is that I have commanded them to do. Now, it's pretty sad in the day in which we live that a lot of people, they make a profession of coming to Christ. But you know what? It's more than that. Thank God we're saved by faith through grace. But it's also important that we follow him closely, get baptized in water, and obey his commandments. Would you agree? Amen. He wants us to be obedient to do his commandments, and we all should. So, in the book of Acts, we're going to see exactly how this played out with the disciples. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, look at what it says. Peter just got done preaching a message, and I wouldn't envy this position. He's preaching to the ones that wanted to kill him. Remember, he, den he denied Jesus before all these accusers. But now all of a sudden, he has this newfound boldness because he got filled with the Holy Ghost and power. And he's preaching Jesus to all these Jews that are there to celebrate Pentecost. And he delivers a powerful message to all the people. And all of a sudden, at the end of the message, they say, what, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now let's remember who he's talking to. This Jewish crowd. Repentance of dead works. Sometimes people think I got to confess all my sins before I come to Christ. Repentance of dead works. They believe works could get them into heaven. Did they not? They had to follow the law. And keep those commandments. And all that. Well you know as well as I do. That can't work. Jesus made that very clear. He came to fulfill the law. He could fulfill the law but we can't. The Jewish people can't. And they still can't. But also that speaks to us about dead works. What about dead works for us? That means you can't make heaven on your own. We got to come to a place that we recognize and we realize we can't make heaven on our own. Doesn't matter how good I am. Doesn't matter what works I do. I could give to the poor. I can help people out every day of my life. And still it's not going to get me into heaven. No, repentance from dead works. I can't get to heaven by my works, Lord. But then accept Christ. What does it say? Faith in God. Faith, in other words, in the operation of God. Faith in the fact that he sent Jesus to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. I believe in that. Do you believe in that this morning? That he took your place on that cross. He was your substitute. He became sin for you so you could be made righteous. And then you accept that. You believe that. You embrace that. And then to show that outwardly, what do you do? You get baptized in water and let everybody know I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ my Lord. Can you say amen to that? So let's real quickly run through this or walk through this or trek through this book of Acts. Acts 2.41. Let's look at some of these things to show you that this is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Then they that gladly received the word. Who's that? Jesus. They were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Look at the next one. Acts 8.12. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Preached Christ to them. The people gave heed to the things. They seen the things that he did. Many miracles took place. But when they believed. Notice the word believe. Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. And the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized. Notice believed and were baptized both men and women. Notice the connection between believing and then being baptized. Next one, uh, chapter 8, we saw this already. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? What's stopping me? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, do we believe with all of our heart? Then you may, if you believe with all your heart. And of course, he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water 
both Philip and the eunuch, and he was what? Baptized. So we can see that they're fulfilling the Great Commission. Look at the next one in Acts chapter 10. This is the Jewish camp. Uh, I'm sorry, this is the Gentile camp. This is the house of Cornelius. This is the Italian band. This is the first group of Gentiles that came to Christ. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Notice how quickly they got baptized in water. They didn't have to go through a series of meetings or anything like that. They got saved. They believed. They accepted Christ. They put him in water and got him baptized. Look at the next one. In Acts chapter 16, and brought them out and said, Sirs, remember this one is a Philippian jailer. Remember the story of Paul and Silas, and, and there they are in prison. And the Philipp, Philippian jailer there is watching them. And of course, they're delivered supernaturally. And they brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, what's the first word there? Believe, believe. Isn't that wonderful? He made it so simple. All I have to do is believe. <clears throat> believe and you can have a change on the inside of you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house and they spake unto him the word of the Lord to, and to all that were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he and all his straightway and when he had brought them into his house he set meat before them and rejoiced believing in God with all his house. What a day that was in that house of Cornelius. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? What a day. His whole house is saved, washed in the blood, baptized in water, and serving God. Beautiful. Look at chapter 18 and verse 8. Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Notice the Great Commission. You can't fulfill the Great Commission without baptizing people. But get them to believe and get them baptized in water. Dunk them as fast as you can. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. And the next one, chapter 19. And this one is specifically here for a reason. I want you to see the difference between these two baptisms. Came to pass that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said to him, We've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. You know, many today haven't heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. They go to church all the time, never heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. Man, there's a Holy Ghost, I guarantee you. It'll get your feet to dancing. It'll put a new song in your heart. A spring in your step fire in your bones, an anointing and equipping from on high that you never had before. You'll serve Jesus better and also you'll witness for him with power and might. Okay, and he said to them, well then, what were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Well then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism to repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who should come after him that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So you see, I'm pointing that out because sometimes, you know, people get baptized when they're maybe a baby. They get baptized when they don't know what they're doing. Beloved, true bona fide water baptism comes after you from your heart have made a confession of faith from your heart. And you've embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you know he came in. You know he's your Lord. You have a change of heart. And that moves you to dump, get dumped into this water. Because you love him so much. You want to obey him. You have to be leave before you're born again. 
So some principles to note that I listed for us. Number one, baptism doesn't save anybody. I've had people even say to me, oh, I've been baptized, but that doesn't save anybody. Water baptism saves no one. Just because someone was baptized, I was baptized as a baby, but I guarantee I wasn't saved. Look in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It doesn't make you saved just because you've been baptized. For by grace are you saved through, not water baptism, through what? Faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, when one has demonstrated or exhibited true saving faith, that person receives Christ as Savior and Lord, will confess Him as Savior and Lord. And based on that experience, that person with a changed heart will want to obey God. Look in the book of Romans chapter 10. We can see the same thing beginning at verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh you. It's in your mouth and your heart. The word of faith that we preach. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes the righteousness with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the, for the scripture says, who believed on him sh- uh, shall not be ashamed. Notice that word, he shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that what? Call upon him for whosoever do I have any whosoever's do I have any whosoever's that came out of a denomination where maybe you were baptized as a baby but now you've been born again washed in the blood do I have someone who was a whosoever that came out of maybe a, a setting of an atheism where people didn't believe in God but praise God you know he's alive and he's real to you right now and you made him the Lord and Savior of your life have you come out of that background anyone doesn't matter who you are if you're whosoever and you've embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You've been born again. You've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Not because of works. And not because of water baptism. But because you've accepted Him and confessed Him as your Lord and Savior. You called upon Him as Lord and He became your Lord. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. Now, under point B there you'll notice this. Infant baptism doesn't save anybody. And it can't save anybody. I grew up being taught that if you were baptized as an infant, you were then spared original sin. And looking up some articles about this, I tried to get their philosophy, their theology, to find out where they were coming from. And they said, we who don't believe in baptizing babies, we're unaware of the teaching of original sin. But the reality is this. They're unaware of the fact that water baptism cannot take away original sin. You see, the Bible says death passed upon all men for all have sinned. And we know that took place in Adam. But you see, that cannot be accounted to a baby because a baby who's born into this world, first of all, cannot repent of sin, cannot believe the gospel. And if a baby born into this world dies when they're a baby, guess where they go? Look at 2 Timothy or 2 Samuel and you'll find out exactly where they go. David's infant son died. And when his infant son died, his servants were concerned for his emotional and mental well-being. He was in sackcloth and ashes before he died. And now that he died, he gets up off the ground. He goes into the palace. He changes his clothes. He goes to the temple. He pulls out his harp. He writes psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He then goes back into the palace. He gets himself a good spaghetti dinner. And then... You didn't read that anywhere? (laughs) He then gets himself something to eat. And then what does he do? He goes about his kingly duties and responsibilities, right? 
And his servants look at him like as if he's lost it. They think he's maybe in denial or maybe he's just having an emotional breakdown or whatever because his infant child died. So they go to him and they say, now, master, we don't understand what you're doing. We don't understand your behavior. Look, when he was here, you were in sackcloth and ashes in mourning. But now that he's gone, here you are going about your duties. He said, look, as long as he was here, I did what I could to change the scenario. But now that he's gone, I can't bring him back to me. But I'm sure going to go be with him. You think David meant he was going to go be with him in Hades? Where did David believe his child went? Heaven. Because you see, if God would not hold the 19-year-olds and under accountable before the promised land. Remember when they were going to go to the promised land? And he said, anyone 20 years and older, you die. But 19 and under, you go in. If God didn't hold them accountable up to age 19, and I'm not saying that's the age, but the age 19, and they did not suffer the sin of their parents, he spared them, and then raised up a Joshua generation under them, how much more is he not holding an infant accountable to the sin of Adam from the very beginning? He's not. That child goes directly to heaven and praise God, I'm glad that he did or he does or they do. And I can give you a quick testimony of that. One day when I was called out to go to a hospital, this was way years ago, when I lived in Youngstown, and the fellow said, my, my son is, we were in a car accident, et cetera, et cetera, in a hospital. Make a long story short, you need to get up here and pray. So I get there to the hospital, go there, he's in the incubator, and this just child is just, what, two months old? Something like that. And so, uh, man, the family's all distraught. I go over to the chapel in the hospital, get on my knees. I'm just on my knees, just ready to pray and start believing God for this child to live. I didn't even know at that time the child was already gone, even before I got to the hospital. But I got on my knees and I just started to pray. And as I started to pray, all of a sudden, just as sure as any other voice I heard that came from the Lord said to me, don't bother praying. The child is with me. He's experiencing love like he's never experienced on earth. Just let him go. He's with me. This is the best he'll ever be. And I come to find out that abuse was involved in that situation. And God knew what was happening, what was going on. I know that's not his perfect will for an infant to go. But in that scenario, in that situation, that's exactly what happened. Babies don't go to any other place but heaven when they die. Because they're innocent when they're born into this realm. So there's no need for some fictitious baptism that's supposedly to wipe away some sin, original sin, when it doesn't exist. In John 1, 9, we're told he likes every man that comes into the world. So when your child is born, that child is innocent. That child will go directly to glory. Praise God for that. Number two, look at baptism as an obedience motivated by your love for God and a changed heart. Look at Matthew chapter 3, 13. And when I say this, I want to ask everyone here a question today. And you answer it for yourself individually. Are you better than Jesus? What about the rest of you? <laughs> Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs baptized. I need, need to be baptized by you. And he said, so why are you coming to me? And Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God 
requires, or you could say follow the code of heaven. So John agreed to baptize him. So we see Jesus himself saying this is the right thing to do. This is an act of obedience. And even though I am the perfect, sinless, immaculate son of the living God, it's still necessary that I myself fulfill all righteousness and do the right thing. So none of us here is better than Jesus, right? And if he got baptized in water, then I would suggest that we all get baptized in water and follow his example. We all should. But motivated by a heart of love. All right. Now, if the heart's been genuinely born again, and it should be this way, there's something new on the inside. It's going to manifest on the outside. When I got saved and washed in the blood of the Lamb, and I knew that Christ came into my heart, I'm telling you, I had everything brand new. When the Bible says all things become new, everything became new. Everything that I saw with my physical eyes became even better and brighter. I saw the world differently. I saw human beings differently. I saw the trees differently. I saw flowers differently. I'm telling you, I had a love in my heart even for my enemy. Praise God, because something happened on the inside of me. I wanted to love God. I wanted to serve God. And guess what? I even want to go to church. I never wanted to go to church before that. I even wanted to go to church. You couldn't keep me out of the church. I was excited. I then wanted to get baptized in water. I wanted to get baptized in water so badly that I finally went to a church where they were, was it like a Protestant church? And I went to this Protestant church. I heard this pastor preach. First message I ever heard in a Protestant church was this. The rich man of Lazarus. And whoo, did that enlighten me. I got so excited. I wanted to get baptized in water. I wanted to show him my faith. I called this guy on the phone. I, I never knew the pastor. I just called him on the phone. Just said, I would love to get baptized in water. I have been born again, pastor. I've got the life of God in me. And I want to get baptized in water. And he said, I hate to burst your bubble. But if you haven't been baptized in water, then you're not born again. I said, excuse me, pastor. I know me before. I now know me after. <laughs> you may not know me before, but I know me before. And if you're telling me I'm not, I know I am. Well, you can't be. You, because you see, his doctrine said you can't be until you're baptized in water. I said, I know I'm born again. I know what I was like before. I know what I'm like after. Jesus came to my heart. He's my Savior. I wasn't going to argue the thing with him. I just wanted to get baptized in water. He said, but I'll tell you what. If you get some clothes together, I'll baptize you right now. He thought he's getting me saved right now. He was getting me baptized right now. I said, I'll get my clothes together right now. I'll be right there at the church. I didn't know they had the water in the baptismal. Unlike this water that's nice, pure, and clean. That water was ice cold with scum all over the top of it. And I didn't know that at all. But I came as fast as I could. I got to the church and I said to him, I'm going to get baptized in water. He was already in the water. I didn't know he had hip boots on. And there he is standing in the water. And there I am. I come running down like this. I didn't have somebody to help me. It was just the two of us. And thank God the Godhead. And I just started running down that water. He goes, he tried to get way. But my eyeballs just froze. When I tell you they froze, they froze. I'm telling you, it was, it was like, it was ice cold water. Whew, I got in. Don't know what he said, but I went under and I came up and I got out and I got myself, praise God, home. Got the scum off of me. I thank God for Holy Ghost power. 
That's a part of my experience about getting baptized in water. But I'm saying there was a change in me and some things took place inside me. What were they? Look in your notes there. Number one, a longing desire to know Christ better. I want to know him better. Philippians 3 and verse 8, what did the Apostle Paul say? Here's what he said. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I've suffered all, loss of all things and do count them but garbage that I may win Christ. Was there a desire in me to know him better? Oh, yes, there was. I want to know so much about the word of God about Jesus I had a longing desire for it number two look at what it says also a desire to please God 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9 there is a desire not to let God down not to displease him in any way so whether at home or, or away we make it our aim to please him and that means that whether you're here on earth in your body or you're leaving this body to go be with him. You want to please him in your life. How we live. How we conduct ourselves. And all the things that we do. And then number three. A hatred for sin. And whatever it is that displeases God. Look in the book of Proverbs chapter 6. We should know all these verses. These six things the Lord hates. What are they? Seven's abomination to him. A proud look. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that divides wicked imaginations, feet that swift, swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among brethren. God hates those things. Guess what? We should also. We should hate those things. And there's much more, but I'm saying, can you see that if you have a change of heart, there's going to be a change of expression of what's in your heart? A change of pursuit. You're going to want some other things. God's at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And you want his will to be done in your life. Not lastly, number three, point three. Baptism matters is my point this morning. It really does matter. I believe a lot of people are, are really not getting further in the things of God. Because they fail to do the small things that God asked them to do. It matters to God that we immediately get baptized in water after we've been born again. I guarantee you the longer you put it off, the longer you'll put it off. Because it won't matter to you. You'll lose that. Okay, look at John 14, 21. It tells the Lord, I love you, Lord, and I want to obey you. You said to get baptized in water, and no matter what, I'm getting baptized in water. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. He that loves me will be loved to my Father, and I'll love him and will manifest myself to him. Notice this. He's going to manifest himself to you. If you're a candidate out there today, do you know how the heavens were open for Jesus when he was baptized? Heavens are going to open for you here today. You're going to see some things, praise God. God has some wonderful things for you, just like he did for him. Number two, it identifies us with Christ. It identifies us with Christ. Look at Romans chapter 6. This is our identification. You know, recently we've taught a message talking about you are God's masterpiece. So many people are defeated in life because they see themselves as they are in the flesh. They see their flaws, their faults, their failures, their shortcomings, and that sort of thing. And as a result, it basically paralyzes them. And they can't really go forward in the things of God or, or be successful in life that God, like God wants them to be. Your new identification is not with who you are, but who Christ is in you. You are his masterpiece, recreated in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Before I comment, look at Isaiah 52 and verse 14. This is from God's words translation. Many will be shocked by him 
His appearance will be so disfigured that he won't look like any other man. His looks will be so disfigured that he will hardly look like a human. And I'm going to put these two together for a reason. We identify with him. And some people will say, well, I don't want to be in front of people. I'm ashamed to be in front of people and, and that sort of thing. You know, I, I, let me just say it this way. Whether it's a crowd like this or in your backyard swimming pool, get a few people of family members and come together. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. You know what Jesus said in Luke 9, 26? If you're ashamed of me and my word, when I come in the glory of the Father and holy angels, I'll be ashamed of you. Okay? Now let me just state, state something. On that cross, you're identifying with that cross. The Bible says on that cross, he became sin for you. He dealt with the sin problem. Number two, on the cross, he became shame for you. Go back to Adam. Why did he hide himself from God? I'm naked. He was ashamed. And he hid himself in fear. He didn't want God to see him stripped of his glory and naked. And what did God say? Who told you that you're naked? Sometimes what we do is when we see all these pictures of Christ, sometimes paintings on the cross, we put clothing on him to cover him. But that's not truly what happened. This is a twofold thing. Number one, when he became sin for you and for me, he was up there for the world to see. And on that cross, he became the sin of humanity that ever was, that ever is, and that will ever be. He became sickness on that tree. All sickness that ever was, that ever is, and will ever be. He became mentally anguished on that cross with all the mental anguish that ever was, that ever is, and will ever be. He became the curse and the fullness of the wrath of Almighty God fell upon him in such a way. You look at the scriptures of that same verse, Isaiah 52. He was so horrific to look at. He was so offensive to look at. You could not even look at him. Okay, that's one part of it. But then the other part is he was stripped naked. They, they sold or they basically gambled for his clothes because he had none on. They took them all off and he stood there for the world to see naked as Adam was stripped of every dignity that he possibly had for you, for me. And he was so disfigured. You ready for it? That Roman centurion that stood there on the ground that looked up to see him on the cross waiting for him to die because the time was getting to, to that point and they were going to see if he was dead and all that. When he became sin and suffered that shame on that tree, suddenly he looked up and what he saw was whole, so horrific. He saw many men die on that cross. He saw many men crucified before. But when he saw him, something got a hold of him and said, Oh, this is not even human-like. What is happening here? He must have been the son of the living God. 
I'd rather identify with that and say I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ than to say I'm ashamed to stand before a crowd and get baptized in water. If he could do that for me, I can't do this for him? Oh my, where are my thoughts? He took our place to spare us the indignities of eternal damnation and separation. I know about, take a moment with me right now and thank him. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed to say I belong to you. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Also, it enables God, you ready for this, to draw closer to us. Look at James 4, 8. It enables him to draw closer to us. Draw nigh to God, and that's what you're doing here this morning, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What is he saying? You take a step toward me, I'll take a step toward you. And for all you that will be baptized this morning, you're taking a step toward him. I guarantee you, he'll step toward you. Just as the scripture says. And then finally, look at Matthew chapter 3. It pleases God. If anything that we want to do in this life that we live, it should be to please God. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. Notice this didn't happen until he got baptized. And he said, I've got to do the right thing. I've got to build my life according to code, heaven's code. Except the Lord build the house that labor in vain to build it. And then a low, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I expect everyone to come up out of that water to within their souls hear the same words echoing reverberating in their being this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased this is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased now if you haven't been baptized in water and maybe you're not even scheduled today you might want to jump in anyhow